This episode of the Ankler Podcast is sponsored by Universal Pictures, The Fablemans, directed and co-written by Steven Spielberg. Now nominated for five Golden Globe Awards, including Best Picture Drama, ABC News calls The Fablemans a personal best for Steven Spielberg and an enduring classic. The American Film Institute and the National Board of Review have both named it one of the year's best films, and Time Magazine has selected The Fablemans as the best film of 2022, now playing in theaters nationwide. Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler. Joining today is Richard Rushfield, Tatiana Siegel, and Nicole Laporte is joining us again to uh, discuss her latest piece in the Ank- on the Ankler called The Squeeze. Uh, hey, Nicole, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Good to have you back. Uh, so just to dive right in here, to quote the Oscar-winning song, uh, it's hard out there for a writer right now. Uh, what's the kind of perfect storm uh, that's that writers are facing here at the end of 2022 that I guess you got into when you're reporting on uh, the squeeze writers edition. Yeah. It's, it's the installment number two of um, com- Hollywood complaining. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, so, so yeah, it was, I think anyone who's talked to a Hollywood writer ever in their life, there, there's always complaints. The, the business is all is always, you know, there's always something, you know, that they're, that that's wrong or, you know, they're not happy about, but I think a lot of the, a lot of the complaints now are actually very valid and a lot of it's been sort of in the works for a while. I mean, people did point out, you know, that this is pre COVID, this is pre Netflix crashing. These are all things that have kind of been happening over the past several years as the streamers have come in, as people have kind of fled broadcast. And basically, I mean, I think to just the most succinct way to say it is like the two biggest revenue streams for TV writers, especially, um, were number one, residuals, and number two, having an overall deal. And an overall deal would kind of, you know, let you work on a show, but then if if the show ended, you it would kind of cover you in between jobs. And those, aside from the JJs and Shondas, they're really not being made or they're not being given out anymore. They're really going away. And that on top of these residual payments, which I mean, at the heyday of network, I mean, writers were making, I mean, it's ungodly amounts of money. We don't even want to know. So no, some we, of it is well, yeah. We so, do, Nicole. We do. No. We do. Yes. Um, just count. It's it's all you know how many houses they owned. Right. Um, right. But anyway, so those are kind of the two big things, and obviously streaming's a part of it, and Netflix having its big stumble earlier this year, and sort of stop you know buying much less, canceling projects. You know, people just feel like we're not making the money we used to. There's all this uncertainty, the uncertainty in the marketplace. Um, and it's become it kind of become like a gig economy, like your your job to job. And I mean, it kind of I, I can talk forever. The writers' rooms are smaller. Um, you know, they're not there's eight episodes, not twenty two. So it's kind of like a th- the list the list is very very long. But that's that's sort of it in a nutshell. I guess in reading the piece, which you know a lot, you talk to a lot of writers, and there's a lot of different perspectives on this. You know, and people who who knew the business back when uh, network TV was still viable, but. I'm guessing that uh, was curious, you know, this isn't anything as you said, anything new per se. Maybe it's, is it just feel like it's hit a breaking point? Cause look, broadcast TV has been going away for years. This isn't like, Oh my God, they're not making as many, you know, network sitcoms anymore. It's like, yeah, you knew that five years ago. And I feel like there wasn't this um, in the mid 2010s to late 2010s when all these, they were just, you know, the number of TV shows went up and all the Netflix, the gold rush of streaming and no one was complaining then but no one was also taking a stand then saying, no, wait, 
they didn't, you know, they all knew they weren't getting residuals when they made all these deals. Like this isn't just like a new policy. This policy has been in effect since Netflix started making shows. And I think every other streamer adopted that because they were the leader in the category. So I guess, is it just feel like, yeah, we knew, but now it's real. Or is, is that kind of the, the, the gist? Or? I, think, I mean, I think it's it's like the bloom is off the rose with the streamers is the best way to put it. And when okay. Netflix first showed up, everyone was like, oh, my God, you're not going to get notes and you can do whatever you want. You, can <laughs> right. you know, episodes can be, you know, there's no advertising. And I mean, it I don't was like, have to do 22 episodes. I can do 10. I can do right. 13. I don't have to stretch this out. Like that was something you would hear a lot, too. Yeah, it was like a creative playground. It was like the shackles were coming off. And so writers were so excited. And back then, Netflix was paying more. So I think not everyone got to make those type of shows. Not everyone made House of Cards or Orange is the New Black. Um, you know, now we all look at what Netflix has on there. And a lot of writers are like, do I even want a show on Netflix? Like, unless right. the chances of people watching it are, are well, less so on TV. But still, it's like it's. Yeah, I it's think just, that's unless it's Wednesday, right? Unless it's Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. So Tim Burton doing a TV show. Exactly. On, on pre-existing IP. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think it's that. And just, yeah, again, Netflix and the other, everyone kind of cutting back. And so, so what, what was kind of the, the wizard of Oz, you know, we're all going to traipse down the golden brick road. What is, is that right? Sounded wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> yellow, like, yellow brick road. Yellow. Brick yellow. Road, yellow right? Thank yes. you. Yours, yours is paved with gold, Nicole. That's how you roll. What do you want? <laughs> um, but I, I think that's what it is. I think everyone, there's just a lot of um, cynicism, I guess, about the streamers now. Unless you know, you're Shonda. I mean, again, unless you're right. one of these top writers, and then and there's also this feeling that like everyone thinks TV writers are doing great because of these Shonda type deals, and it's like, right. well, that's maybe a dozen people. What about? It's really the middle class, kind of the middle upper class level writers are are the ones with the biggest gripes. Yeah, and that's you know that is the squeeze. The squeeze, the you know the top is going up, but the bottom is you know coming out, and that middle is nothing. There's just nothing left, or very little, increasingly little left. Where uh, you know you had a good anecdote with the writer on um, uh, Abbott Elementary about you know who previously wrote in streaming, right? And she came to network TV and had a little bit of an epiphany, right? Yeah, I mean it's funny. I was I, I was thinking that when I was talking to these writers, like there's almost this 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 nostalgia for network. Right. It sounded every, like it. It really did. Yeah, that everyone wanted to kick and you know couldn't run away from faster. Now every now it's the dream to get on like yeah. an NBC show. Yeah, back you know oh, we have a network you know broadcast. Oh, it's you know it's hacky or whatever. You're doing procedurals or you know it was looked down upon. We're like I'm doing a cool streaming show, and now it's like. Yeah, if, if yeah. the check's there, you know, hey, I'll take the notes, whatever. The, the, that Dick Wolf check isn't looking, uh, you know, too bad at this point when he has, uh, three, you know, nine shows on television. And, you know, that's the not a bad skill to have if you have a, a good, you know, that procedural writer skill is not a bad, not bad business to, you know, to be in at this point. Do you feel like there was a, a different narrative that could have gone, you know, evolved out of this where people either should have or could have made uh, as a part of their deals, additional payments back. It feels like precedent has caught up where like now, you know, what, what do we do? What do you do? Like, I guess, you know, cause you can't go back and take a stand and can you be like, no, I want a, a per stream, you know, charge. It's like, they just don't do it. And I don't know, like, how does this change? Is that, is it the writer's negotiation coming up? Is that, you know, the writer's guild, uh, you know, uh, with the studios and streamers coming up this spring, is that going to be, does there sense yeah, that that could I be think, a game changer? I think some people are holding out and, you know, there is hope that the writers, you know, if the writers strike and that they can carve out more, more from the streamers. But I also felt like in talking to writers over the past week or so, like a lot of them weren't that aware, didn't even know the details of what the strike is about. You know, there's kind of this overall malaise, I think. And it's kind of like, 
I think they've kind of given up. I don't think anyone thinks they're going to carve much more out of from the streamers. And even I forget who I was talking to about, you know, okay, well, hey, Netflix is bringing back advertising. Is that a way that maybe you guys can, you know, get bigger residuals? Or And it's like, no, because they're just going to treat this like digital digital advertising. They're, this is not, you know, it's, it's not network TV. So I don't know. I, I don't, I think there's, and this is sort of similar to, you know, when I spoke with the producers and that it's sort of this acceptance that my new life is just, I got to hustle. Like you, you're just not going to be on a show for five years. And if you're working on one now, it's probably going to be over in eight weeks and you better have another one lined up and, and you don't have the luxury of hanging out on your overall deal while you figure out your next project. Like you have to be constantly kind of hustling. Because that overall deals were kind of, you know, yes, it went to the A-list, you know, Steve Levitans, things like that. But the disappearance of that, which is, again, largely tied to, I think, broadcast TV projects when you may be doing that versus, you know, the streamers have no interest unless you are that big name, which will get a little more attention to it. They don't need a mid-level person on on roster, if you will, or they don't, you know, because there's just so much, so many people out there that they can, you know, take it. They're not lacking for pitches, I guess, would be the. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the takeaway. And by the way, how much does the big name actually really sell what? any project? Like, I mean, Dahmer, the big name is Dahmer, not Ryan. <laughs> right. like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it, it's actually become a little bit increasingly less important. From the producer of, you know, in, in, the, in the trailer, does it necessarily, is that, you know, how much is that? Other than being a print of quality internally, of like this person knows how to deliver a good show, but as the Ryan maybe deals, Wednesday is kind of the exception yeah. because it is so distinctly Tim Burton, and I think saying Tim Burton, then you know what you're getting, right? And that's gonna be you couldn't, I'm sure, will be attempted to replicate, but that's the reason why that maybe works so well. <laughs> of course, it, of it's course, Tim unfortunately. <laughs> well, but th- but that said, it doesn't Wednesday doesn't uh, feel like anything Tim Burton has ever done. It it has his it has his look and sort of art direction, but uh, very different sort of project. As was as was Dahmer for Ryan Murphy. Yeah. So. Nicole, you also, you know, does this, in terms of the film world, is is the the squeeze being felt in the in the film writer community, or is this less because less of a factor? Where, I mean, Netflix is now making, you know, as we all know, uh, over seventy movies a year. Like the volume of movies has certainly gone up. Uh, you know, you can argue about the quality. So, what's it like for in terms of the film writer community at this point? Is the same sense out there, or maybe not so bad? There's still a lot of rewrite rewrite work, things like that. Um, I think it's still a sense of 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 some level of despair, um, but it's just different reasons. I mean, they're less affected by the residuals and the overall deal. So you kind of take those away. But as far as, yeah, just all the content Netflix produces, you know, a lot. I mean, I think people feel like you can do a Wednesday, you can do a White Lotus and it'll catch on and everybody's talking about it. And if you're the creator, the writer, you're, you know, you're loving life and it's fantastic and you're being appreciated. But how many movies come out on Netflix, like feature films come out on Netflix that has everybody talking and everyone, you know, gathered around the TV screen or the iPad on a Friday night? I mean, very, very few. So there's that sort of sense. And then the the screenwriters are much more affected also and and talk more about just the, the IP obsession in Hollywood and that really... You know, you just can't sell an original idea. Um, and Zach Penn, I interviewed, and he talked about, 
you know, he did Free Guy and he's like, I can't believe the number of people who came up to him were like, that's so amazing. You got an original movie made. That's fantastic. And he's like, that's so sad that like, <laughs> you know, that's what I'm being congratulated for. But, but he's like, it's true. You know, I mean, he's, he's very high up there. He can do that, but very few can. And, you know, the other thing a lot of them said is that you can't, if it is an original idea, you can't, it can't just be you. It ha- you have to line up the director. You got to line up a star, like that red shirt sale that, you know, Simon Kinberg did with Channing Tatum was kind of the right. big example, but that's hard to do. You got to, you know, you've, you, now you're dealing with agents and representatives and you got to negotiate, you know, you kind of have to do all of that work just to get to the, you know, get to the sale. You know, it's very different from just pitching an idea and then having the agents figure the rest out. So those were kind of the big points they made. The development community is a little stretched thin where you can't, you, they don't have the infrastructure to as much of their, their volume is too high. When the volume goes up, they can't sit there and kind of, oh, let me think of this writer and this producer. It's like they want packages brought in with that, not pre-sold certainly, but with a little more to it where you're almost a, a writer producer and the real heavy on the producer more than maybe on the writer sometimes. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's the TV model, but now hmm. filmmakers feel like that's their model. You know, that's how you, that's the only way to succeed. Well, great job, Nicole. Uh, I can't wait for your piece on the squeeze on newsletter writers. I'll be very excited. Uh, that one's going to be an opus. Yeah. There is more to come. Is that, I mean, you don't tell us what you're working on, but just so uh, we know, or there, yes, there, there will be more installments. Yeah. Okay. We, we'll leave that tease. All right. Excellent. Nicole, great to see you as always. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank today. you. Take All care. Right. Speaking of a company that, uh, used to spend a lot of money and probably at least sounds like now they're writing off a lot of money uh, is Warner Brothers Discovery uh, just to write off in the, the write off to run down in the broad strokes, you know, announced they're going to write off another billion dollars on top of the up to 2.5 billion they're planning on writing down of content. Um, you know, it's up over, over $5 billion likely over the next two years, by the way, they kind of, you know, this is bull is going to take another two years by the end of 2024 for all of this to between all this to resolve between whatever in the library they're going to be doing, getting rid of checks. They're not going to be writing anymore to restructuring to uh, I guess we'll, you know, lead it off. Whatever's going to happen at DC, which I guess one writer, one writer getting a nice check still is James Gunn, Tatiana. Uh, So why don't you get us up to speed on uh, DC 2.0 here this week? Yeah, I'd be curious, by the way, to know how he gets paid. He's an executive, but he's writing. <laughs> several times, several times. Yeah, that's how he gets his, paid. his brothers are writing. His uh, brothers are writing. Like a, yes, for, yes, that's right. Like a whole the, family uh, thing there. John Cena movie that they were brought on to uh, that, that James Gunn is producing. Uh, so, yeah, that was a fun little tidbit this week. So I think uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is squeezing like an orange juicer, but um, I actually think the DC thing is not even about trying to save money. I mean, certainly this whole Patty Jenkins um, situation does not appear to have been some sort of like cost cutting measure because I don't think Patty uh, would be any more expensive than, you know, whoever I, I, that does not seem motivated by. It wasn't the wondering factor of it, but yeah, no, no. Correct. Um, But I mean, my God, does, is there another 
um, entity that has more drama uh, regularly than the DC universe. Like Marvel just does not have these. That's kind true. Of That's a good point. Yeah, and, and it's amazing. It's it's like generations of drama. Like there was dr- drama going back to the Chris Nolan days, and and yeah. all that. It's like every iteration, there's there's new waves of drama. They and the Zack Snyder certainly after that, right? Certainly Richard? the Zack Snyder uh, issues and. From the beginning of DC, every constantly like stories about writers leaving and writer actors coming on and directors fired, and you have the the, the Joss Whedon situation, right? It's, uh, and then the recut. And, and, and by the uh, way, the whole thing with Zack Snyder applies to today. Like everything continues to play out on Twitter, and. I just think that's like there's no other studio that really that happens like it's that. Like, Am I re- well, it's like a soap opera that's in like it's like 11th season and none of the original cast members are still there. <laughs> and they got the, the third round of uh, still stirring up trouble in the same apartment building. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I guess this is, you know, James Gunn, James Gunn and Peter Safran are the two leads. But James is certainly being the the face of this, if you will, uh, and or at least the Twitter account that is uh, <laughs> that is engaging on this. I don't know. If Peter, I don't know. If Peter has a Twitter account. I, and, you know, James has always obviously is the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, has always been involved with the fans. And he seems to just be taking that mantra to dc i mean is that that's kind of my only real like not explanation certainly but just the approach of like yeah i'm gonna do what i've been doing for my career and i'm just gonna do it as the creative head of dc now i i think they had a feeling that this was a that that they needed a vision here they they had a vision with christopher nolan days and they had a a, for better or worse a vision in the the Zack snyder and then they (laughs) sort and then they sort of went through um, a period where they just said, we're just going to let directors go their own way and do their own thing. And, you know, they get to a place where you have three different actors playing Batman and, and all kinds of time frames and everything. And it's just become. Yeah. But why is that bad, by the way? Like, I, why does it all have to? I mean, I think Patty Jenkins had been very uh, specific that she didn't want in the first Wonder Woman for there to be any tie-ins with the other movies. You're not going to see Flash pop up. And did that hurt the movie? No, people love Wonder Woman, uh, the first one. So I, like, I don't understand this idea of like needing that Marvel, like very contrived kind of interconnectedness. But by the way, I don't even know that that's what James Gunn is going to, and Peter Safran are going to be doing. Um, uh, it's, it's a question. I, the, I, the the super fans love the uh the the show where you know Laverne and Shirley visits Happy Days and all that <laughs> their, their favorite thing uh, of all. So the, the Law and Order crossover, yes, yeah, that's that that that's that's the favorite thing for of the of the fanboys. Um, but you also have this whole TV universe of of DC with the Greg Berlanti shows. That's uh, it's also another totally different thing that exists in its own world. But I mean, the, the the thing about the 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 Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman fight is that that the the last installment of Wonder Woman is probably the greatest failure of a superhero film in the modern era. Uh, so the the first one was a fantastic hit, but the, the second one was a uh, was was a failure both uh, commercially and critically. It was it was sent straight to. Uh, it was sort of straight to streaming, so it's not like that was could... that was always going. to... I mean, once COVID happened, to be fair, that was... well, if 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 they knew That's they had complete. something, if they knew they had something great, they they might have 
sat on it for a year or two. But I mean, you, you, I, I think it's got like one of the lowest Rotten Tomato scores of any superhero film. It's um, so she, she wasn't coming into this from a situation of of Wonder Woman is in it, it is doing great, and let's just do one more of the same. It wasn't a hot hand coming in. Uh, there, there By the a- way, I, I'm not going to say which uh, director's fan base is responsible for such actions, <laughs> but you can probably figure it out. But there's definitely been a lot of review bombing, and James Gunn was uh, the victim of that with Suicide Squad, where it's like the reviews did not match what you know what the takeaway was of the movie at the time. I I, I love how the uh, the Zack Snyder fan legions have have turned into this sort of uh, golem that sort of sits on the side on, on of any superhero uh, discussion that you have the Zack Snyder fanboys sitting there waiting to pull everybody down and to destroy everything that they're they've become this like this this sort of toxic dark force. Uh, floating through the superhero world now they'll always be in the family going forward that's a smaller and smaller contingent richard especially once this new iteration comes in but you're right they they were invited in for a good you know five six years and they have a right or whatever to or maybe a right to but they will have a voice a voice and opinion on stuff but zach's busy over at netflix now so maybe they'll you know once once the rebel moon project comes out they'll have a new thing to focus on what, but what uh, they should do is say we're going to release the ultimate Zack Snyder cut and just piece together every shot he ever filmed and say <laughs> it's, it's, it's 4,000 hours long and I'm sure that exists somewhere already and, and you have to and, and just get them all into the theaters for 4,000 hours and when they emerge they will be cured of their Zack Snyder uh, issues call uh, Adam Aaron at AMC I'm sure he'll uh, he'll screw it for you but I guess you know I mean I like I, this is not my uh, genre I'm quote unquote not a fanboy uh i follow it from a business point of view but from not from a creative point of view but i couldn't help but feel really bad for henry cavill uh who just five or six weeks ago was so excited to be back as superman with black adam and the whole thing and it's just like seemed like a gut punch his tweet was so sad it was and rightfully (laughs) so it was just he seems like a genuine guy i i interviewed him once a you know a while ago a long time ago five six years ago but he seems like a nice genuine person and he seemed like he was really excited to come back and do something new and different or evolve from what he had done in the universe before but Man, that really just bummed me out. I said that news in the wake up this morning. I was just like, man, whew, that was a, a tough, tough tweet or Instagram post, whatever he wrote. It was very well written. It was very respectful. It was not spiteful. It was not, you know. Well, his manager is uh, Dwayne Johnson's uh, business oh, par- uh, uh, producing partner, former wife. Oh, and Garcia, um, yeah. I think that they have to keep going younger and younger the way like Spider-Man and, you know. And, and James did say, I mean, very broadly, we hope, plan to work with Henry in some capacity, you know, in the new DC universe. So anyway, uh, James alluded. And, and by the way, Ben Affleck also getting, and ben Affleck. He'll, he'll be a director. Like, it's kind of like you do age out at some point and um, of the character. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Ben will be back directing. I didn't say anything about being Batman again, but uh, I think he has he has a probably has a desire for another shot at, you know, making doing the dc that he has envisioned and didn't happen for whatever reason that didn't happen so uh tbd on that james alluded more to come in january so check your twitter feeds 
not from Warner Brothers Discovery or DC proper communications, but probably from James's Twitter account. So hmm. this seems to be the new. This is uh, going to put Deadline out of business. <laughs> Making all the, just tweeting out all the exclusives that are supposed to be gift wrapped. Uh, we're all just exactly. We're all just posting tweets now again. So uh, Twitter, Twitter lives. Congratulations, James. James Gunn. Do, by the way, Richard, do you think comms uh, approve of, has to vet any James Gunn tweets before they go? <laughs> I, I'm sure they would like to, but uh, <laughs> uh, he he seems to he seems to understand the uh, the limits of where the the off color humor seems to have been uh, curtailed yeah. a bit. Well, elsewhere uh, at Warner Brothers Discovery, Richard, I want to get your uh, thoughts on this, and if you've been hearing people have been talking about this, just in terms of you know they announced uh, more stuff was leaving HBO Max this week. So- some library stuff, you know, Westworld's now gone, which was already kind of canceled, certainly. Um, uh, Finding Magic Mike is no longer. So, you know, uh, deal with that in your own time. Uh, you know, but essentially... Was that, by the way, part of your Christmas tradition every year? Well, I was do... going to do my big Magic Mike's last dance combo with that to get ready for it in February. <laughs> now I don't know where to watch it. So, uh, you know, I'm a little, I'll be a little lost on Valentine's Day weekend, but uh, that's for me to figure out. Uh, but, you know, there is this sense that, and back to even what you know to Nicole's point of like even when you have a greenlit show anymore it's not even greenlit you know you a season order you know you you don't you know minx was on their last week of shooting season two and you get the phone call that like you're not you're canceled when you've just just you know just the morale alone on that richard you know and after all the batgirl stuff and all the stuff that's already happened which we don't need to get into right now but what's the sense about Warner Brothers Discovery, Richard, in your mind or that you hear from people that, that you're, you're talked to in terms of a create the creative community at this point? I mean, when, when you're taking stuff off the channel, um, you're, you're really looking to find the pennies under the couch there. You're, you're getting rid of everything that's that, that, that you can get rid of. I mean, I think people look at this as like, well, why, why not keep it on the, on the service? It doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't hurt anything, but you know, every, every week you keep something up on the service, you have to you pay a fee for it. And it does. Yeah. The, the fee may not be, may not be much to, uh, to, to a big company, but they, uh, I think they, they are in a place where they are looking for every cent they can save. And I, I think they come into this from a backdrop of, you know, they, they looked at the numbers there on um, on HBO Max and they say 90, 95% of the traffic is going into 20 shows. Right. And that so that if you got rid of everything that isn't those 20 shows, it would hardly make a dent in your, it would hardly change your viewing. And AT&T went and quadrupled the amount of production. There's all this extra stuff coming into that 5% that nobody's watching and a lot of room to to prune that doesn't change the, the viewing habits. Now, you may say if you just had 20 shows on there, you might not actually watch any any, any of them, but it's kind of if you're paying for a service, it's kind of nice to know that they're there and you have the option of... Uh, of of seeing something else after you're done with White Lotus or or House of the Dragon, but um, you know in in, in hard times uh, these are the these are the tough choices that they that they make. And I don't even I I think it's actually you know as, for all the reasons you listed, Richard, a smart move. I don't know that I'm like oh I can make a case for keeping those shows on if no one's watching them. You're paying for something. You know it, it, it makes sense. And yeah, 
to your point, Richard, it may not be a lot per week or per whatever, but I'm sure when it an aggregate, when you add this stuff up, it's, you know, relatively real money, which could be used to pay for that white Lotus season three. You know, this is just a shift in strategy. I think of we're not going for volume anymore. We're going for what I would call the HBO model of make a few things really good. And that's what we're going to do. We're not going to go for the 7,000 hours of programming thing that quite frankly, doesn't matter maybe in a, a Pluto or to be world, that's something, but you know, uh, or it's overwhelming to a viewer or like, that too. Right. How do I find things? Yeah. The more tiles I want you have, somebody to curate for me, like, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. yeah. And, and, and frankly, the, uh, you know, the press is uh, going after David Zaslav for tearing right. this down, but they went, they were equally going after John Stanky when he told Richard Plepler, uh, <laughs> you guys are going to have to, start making a lot more and start working a lot harder because you're not doing enough. Uh, you're, in a, you're in the volume game. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that was sacrilege. Uh, I think yeah. genuinely it was sacrilege and a stupid decision in its day, but uh, exactly. So, yeah. So I don't know that anything I read was like, it's like I looked at it and saw, Oh, this is not smart or I don't get this. I'm like, I get it. I just feel like maybe cumulatively the impression is just being, especially with the Ming situation where if you're a creative again, can you trust <laughs> the word of Warner brothers? You know, and when you get a green light, some, and, and even stars did the same thing this week, actually with, well, with one show, certainly they ordered before the season started and it was a done. They're like, we're not making a season two of this. Um, so I think this, this, this feels new to me in the town where I feel like whenever you had a green light and you had a show, like it would go through and it would air, maybe it wouldn't get renewed, but this is a new era of uh, even when you're in production, you're not in production in a sense. You know, Tatiana, well, think of the back, that... the Batgirl directors. I mean, and the, by the way, was... I sure I did talk to them um, at the, oh, the film, film the, festival. The filmmakers, yeah, yeah, the filmmakers, and they said that they would work with Warner Brothers again. You know, they they had no hard feelings, and yeah. um, uh, there was no gun being held to their head at the time. I think that speaks to this idea that. You have like five options. So who's going right. to alienate one out of five? Yeah, yeah, and have the reputation of someone who alienated uh, right one of the five. So right, it's not right. worth it to go for to come out and say you know I hate this person or that person. It's just not worth it. Like you might as well just um, take the diplomatic route and and you might very well get back into the um, DC fold. And that's what they're kind of hoping for. They want they want to get back into the DC fold, back to DC. And also going back to that, you you notice their their agents uh, made very little public squawk about it. So mm. one one presumes that they knew that there's something else down the line for them to come. Careers are very long in the in Hollywood, so yes, you can burn your bridges and see how that works out for you, or you can just chalk it up to an experience. Everybody was still paid, not like you're not you know not on the street, et cetera, et cetera. And they so, might, by the way, they might do a bad boy for life part three whatever the next but will smith uh martin lawrence incarnation will be yeah. and that was a hit bad boy yeah uh, so and everyone can look at uh the you know you have a counter model of uh ray fisher of how how it works out when you leave a franchise kicking and screaming and pointing fingers and uh the what's, what's, ray, yeah. what's ray fisher's next uh next film much- uh, Zack Snyder's um, four-hour or fourteen-hour opus um, for Netflix, uh, Rogue Moon. Re- Re- Rebel Moon. Okay. Rebel go. Moon. Thank you. But that's, that's, appara- that's apparently the one place that right. will, that will hire him now. Is that Zack Snyder uh, project? Yeah. 
it's a it's a conundrum. The business always uh, always surprises. I guess there's never just when you think there are rules, there are no more rules. I guess. Uh, well, we have a big weekend at the box office. We'll round out here, uh, Richard. You had a piece, you know, certainly uh, that you got a lot of response. How much I would love to hear the responses you were getting from the community uh, about independent film or. Indie film, the indie film biz, I guess as we used to call it. I'm not sure that the specialty film was probably what it's evolved into. Much classier name. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've written about this a bit, you know, every every week and I do my box office uh roundups on Monday morning. You know, it was a bad, a bad year. It's been a bad year for specialty. It's been a bad few years, but you know, the COVID really hit this this part of the business hard. But, you know, you had an interesting take on it, and I'd love to hear what people were getting in touch with you, you know, with reactions to the piece. Yeah, so I mean, I wrote that. Um, yes, it's been a, a bad a bad year for specialty, and there've been a lot of proclamations of late that the the specialty niche is dead, and that these these films can't launch, especially as they look at the Oscars and the poor performance of a lot of these. Um, so I, but my my response was, I, I said, well, a lot of them have done badly. There's a handful that have done all right, including the menu, everything, where all at once. Uh, don't worry darling is sort of in that um so you know a dead sector doesn't produce a handful of successes uh first of all even if it's a small number it's not and of the ones that failed i i pointed out what which of these movies would have succeeded at any point in history uh tar is three hours long and it starts (laughs) with the with the end credits makes people sit through 10 minutes of the end credits before the, the the film gets going like is is that was was that really going to make two <laughs> 200 million dollars in 2017 that, the, that right the, right you have three directors who made films about their own childhoods in this right. year's oscar crop it's true yeah and you you have a lot of movies that are just sort of do your homework eat your vegetables let let us tell you about this important ter- thing that happened in this terrible world and at a time when people are you know tired and cranky and stressed and not feeling like spending a couple hundred dollars to get a sitter and, and trudge to a crowded uh a crowded mall to to have <laughs> to be lectured to and sit through a slow moving uh meandering uh piece of uh pedantry um yeah, can you it. imagine if you spent like a hundred dollars for a babysitter and you get to the mall to watch Tar and you are watching those credits at the I, beginning? My my point is, it was always hard to get have an indie hit. It was never there was never a time where indie hits just happened. Like you always had to to, to get people to see a small movie. You always had to sell the ceiling. You know, it was never that high. The Little Miss Sunshine is pointed to as like that's the icon of Sundance breakouts, and that made sixty million dollars, which is a good amount of money for Little Miss Sunshine. But it's not like it's, it didn't uh, change the business. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the the Goodwill Huntings of the world, and the, you know, it's like yeah, that was also nineteen ninety seven. So uh, you know, and and, and they <laughs> also do no international, or they didn't do much international back then. Yeah. So the reason that that the indie sector happened and that it, it stopped being art house and, and mm-hmm. became the indie sector was that pe- you had these these sort of fresh young directors with these new tools and everything who were doing fresh takes on genre movies, by and large. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's sex lies and videotape. What is that? That's a that's a thriller, basically. And the, uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs is certainly right. Uh, Almost Sunshine genre. is is a is a road comedy like it's it, the and instead of doing these genre movies they're doing luxury history history lessons um 
Right. So what do you think will happen then? And it's looking a, ahead at the 2023 uh, indie slate, like uh, what were your thoughts, Richard, just looking at the Sundance lineup? <laughs> what I thought was I, I'm waiting for them to like send a press release saying we are going to have a special screening of Avatar. <laughs> because I, I, My thoughts are the short ribs at the after party better be pretty damn good. <laughs> Richard's going to learn how, learn how to ski this year, I think. Yeah. <laughs> i'm looking forward to my i'm looking forward to sundance very much uh uh i hope hope to see all our all our readers there but and maybe it's a year of surprises tatiana maybe that's the instead of the pre-sold a-list star maybe you know what the film shines through and that's kind of what sundance used to be in a way and you know maybe it's, it's about the movies and maybe there's just good quality that you'll be surprised when you show up and everybody's talking about the film that nobody knew about you know who knows a place for discovery. There That's what it's always been dubbed. <laughs> Speaking of indie films, uh, Avatar this weekend. Tatiana, are you are you in? Uh, are you going? What's uh, what's your verdict oh, here? Yeah, I, I have a teenage. I have teenage children. I'm going to be seeing it and actually paying to see it. So are they psyched? Um, or what's the yeah, well, okay? What's the teen? Give us the the teen report. Uh, are they are this is this buzzing amongst their friends? Is this something they're talking about? Or is this are you are you taking them to the movie? Or are they taking you to the movie? My son is excited. My daughter could probably care less and would rather watch Wednesday at home. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Does she know route. that? Can she do the Wednesday dance? <laughs> the most TikToked uh, moment right now in my, history. Of, my uh, daughter's <laughs> my daughter's third grade class report. She reports that that all the girls know the Wednesday dance already. So. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Of course, she knows the Wednesday dance. <laughs> well, just just wait, just wait until the Megan dance come January. I'm telling you, this uh, Jason Blum horror movie is going to be taking over TikTok uh, as soon as the holidays are over. So that. Oh, that... I thought you meant Megan Markle dance. Oh, like maybe that that final episode. I don't think she's dancing that. yet. No, I didn't. I have not. Applied. Maybe she does. I don't know. Uh, no, the Jason Blum horror film. I love that they've been doing a great job with the marketing on that. And there's definitely a lot of that movie i'm like this was a built for tiktok exact thing. uh and richard uh you're, you know what's your are you optimistic on avatar you know let's let's get uh yeah i mean what, what's you, the what's the over under number on it uh you know they're saying 150 to 175 150 seems a little low the film is three hours and 12 minutes long so yeah. uh take but that they have you but but they can have all the screens in the world exactly it's a little no bit other movies uh play <laughs> true so. true and it's and, a lot and, it's, it's and is going to play in China, which obviously well, right now has a little bit of a COVID problem. But I mean, did anyone <laughs> also notice bit. that like the week that Bob Iger comes back into Disney, suddenly, no. oh, guess what? Avatar is getting into China. Go figure, because during JPEX last year, nothing got into China. So yeah. I wonder yeah. if there was a conversation or uh, Maybe. A must do, something must do on the must do list. Uh, first weekend. It's also either. not a Marvel movie, so Marvel the, the, the different franchise. You know, they have the problem with Marvel. It seems like more than anything else. But I think you know, you're, it's, it was a nice coincidence. Or a coincidence uh, worth noting, and they also the laws of the Florida government. You know, taking away their uh, government jurisdiction also went back into review uh, after Iger came in so that was the other kind of like interesting so yeah richard 175 150 to 175 richard uh i'm taking the over i'm taking the over on that you're going over okay all right i mean there is no worth noting it's in over 3000 uh what plf screens so that's that's imax 3d which are going to be charged and and 
the regular regular avatar is also you know you're going to be charged an extra buck or two uh you know at theaters as well versus the normal price they're doing that upcharge which they, which they did on you know the batman and other films this year so and if, if there's any movie that people will right want to pay for the premium version of it it's it's it's, it's this one uh, i'm gonna say this is uh three thousand times char squared by bros <laughs> whatever that final figure is they should put it on a double bill with tar uh yeah. <laughs> wow that's let the end credits of avatar go right into the <laughs> opening credits of tar there <laughs> Richard, you missed your calling in, uh, yeah. in distribution, I think. So uh, we will leave it at that this week. Uh, thank you both for joining. As always, good to see you. Remember to subscribe to The Angler at theangler.com to get all of our newsletters and podcasts. And uh, you can follow us on the socials at The Angler. And I will, of course, have uh, my full breakdown in the wake-up newsletter on Monday morning of the Avatar numbers and the spirited musicals going back into theaters for 100 screens this weekend apple tv i i i enjoyed spirited you uh, did okay. watch it, yeah i, I thought right. it was i thought it was well, actually nice yeah apple's putting a sing-along version in, in over 100 theaters this weekend that if seemed, you want to go sing in theaters richard you can uh, i mean that seems that. that seems a little premature but uh normally you do that with the, the beloved uh <laughs> thing you've grown up with and it only really has one sing-alongable song in it but uh it was a nice film. Thumbs up from Richard. All right. Yeah. Very good. Uh, so I'll have all that breakdown uh, and all the numbers uh, from China and see how the COVID <laughs> situation goes there, which seems to change. I read new new counts on how many theaters are open there seemingly every day. So uh, the pre-sales were, were, I think, about 28 million, but uh, they were projecting 100 million. But a lot of pieces or a few pieces this week uh, saying just how people are not leaving their houses anymore. So uh, we'll see how that, all that shakes out. So Again, never a dull moment in Hollywood or China. And uh, we will catch you all next week for a, I don't know, we'll call it a special holiday edition, even though I'll, I'll probably won't be wearing red or green. But I think uh, <laughs> we will maybe do some fun things next week uh, for the pre-Christmas version of the Angler podcast. Uh, so we will see you then. And thanks for listening. Thanks.